Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of fantasy romance and romantic fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Ah. <sighs> Today is Monday, November 15th, the Ides of November. which has no dark significance. It was just that one thing in March. Anyway, how are you guys? I had a good weekend, busy weekend, um, fraught in some ways, but also, um, yeah, good. It seemed to go really fast. And, um, next week is us Thanksgiving. Woo. I'm actually really psyched for Thanksgiving this year. Um, I think because last Thanksgiving was so kind of (laughs) crappy. I don't know about you guys. Um, I mean, it was fine. These things are all relative, right? Um, you know, last year we decided not to, that was too big of a risk to travel to Tucson for Thanksgiving or to go see any other family. And so I cooked Thanksgiving dinner and for, me and for David (laughs) and made way too much food for two people. And, um, you know, we, we kind of ate our Thanksgiving dinner and we watched shows and stuff. And I mean, champagne problems, right? You know, it's not like we were, uh, fighting off starvation or have loved ones with COVID in the hospital or any of those things, but it was also just not what one would want (laughs) from one's Thanksgiving. Um, I'm trying to get better about appreciating, you know, like the minor daily stresses that they're not bigger stresses, you know, like, um, you know, like people always say, Oh, you know, just be glad you have your health. Um, it's, it's hard to be grateful for something that you are accustomed to having, you know, and I, I know I've mentioned this in the past, but one of, um, when you guys maybe know, or don't know that I have a, my bio, my, my biology, my bachelor's degree, I had a double major in biology and also comparative religious studies and my religious studies professor, the non-practicing Orthodox Jew, which is a fine joke. If you understand these things, uh, that was how he defined himself. He would bring up the fact that when terrible things happen to us, that we ask why that we say, why me? Why has this terrible thing happened to me? Why am I suffering? But that when our lives go well, when fine things are happening, when wonderful things happen, but even just like the daily, daily goodness that we don't cast our eyes to heaven and say, why, why me? Uh, and that has stuck with me all my life. Um, you know, especially appreciating that the daily goodness, you know, like I get stressed about getting word count on some days. You guys hear me, uh, moan and whine, gnash my teeth over this, but you know, like then when there's other things going on that get in the way of me getting word count that, um, you know, absorb a lot of my attention. You know, it's like, I just want to get back to those days when the only thing I have to bitch about is, is how slowly I'm writing.
So, so yeah. Um, I know I am being vague. I have to be vague. Um, but there we are. So let's see. Uh, I gave a workshop on Saturday morning. That was fun. That was actually really fun. Um, with the Washington romance writers and they were really interested. I did the uh, sexual tension workshop and they were really, um, absorbed and involved and asked great questions. And I am really going to finally get after setting up a zoom schedule or a schedule for doing zoom classes just on my own so that you guys don't have to do it through these people or other people on their schedule. I'm going to try to have some different classes available on various schedules and give these workshops and, uh, time for you guys to ask questions and all of that. Um, it has been sliding down my to-do list for, I don't know, maybe this entire year, maybe longer, but, um, Hey, (laughs) I am going to do it one of these days. Uh, (laughs) Saturday afternoon was fun because I went to an actual book event, um, at George R. R. Martin's Jean Cocteau theater. Is there a way to say Jean Cocteau theater without sounding, without adopting that accent? I don't think so. Uh, it was for the re-release of a couple of the wild cards books, one by John Josh Williams, the other by Vic Milan, who passed away a few years ago. So it was, um, George and John Josh Williams and Melinda Snodgrass, who is delightful person, just fabulous. And they, um, yeah, talked for about an hour. And one of the nice things about the Jean Cocteau here in Santa Fe is there's a bar, there's a concession stand and a bar. Uh, and so, you know, we had happy hour and we talked to people and it was the first time that I had seen a lot of people since pre pandemic. And it was, um, really just kind of awesome. And, and again, it, it made me appreciate you know, like the idle chit chat at book events. Um, you know, I think that we start feeling like these things are an imposition. And I think about past years when I was thinking, Oh, I have to get my act together so that we can drive somewhere for Thanksgiving. And now I'm like, woohoo, we got to drive for Thanksgiving. Um, and it's the same way, y'all. Like there's a lot of times I'm like, Oh, I don't want to go to this book event. I'd rather just stay home. But you know, it's like, Oh, I get to go to this book event and make, um, small talk with other people. (laughs) And so it was, um, it was really fun. It was a fun evening. Um, I was surprised at how many people wanted to shake hands and it was like, Oh, you know, let's, you know, New Mexico, we're masking indoors. And so people had their masks on for the most part, but, um, I was just like, really hands, let's, let's not. <laughs> uh, and there was one gal who wanted to shake my hand and, and I had to do that. Do you mind if we don't? And, and I don't know if she was offended or not. Um, but, and I said, I have someone vulnerable at home, which I do, you know, David with the Parkinson's it's, we don't want to take chances. So brave new world. Right. So that was fun. And then yesterday was like exciting laundry and lots of syphilis stuff. Um, there's this saw, I don't know what, 
what you would call it a saying a superstition i i called it a superstition once um where people who have been CIFWA president said that have said that being president costs you one book a year that you end up writing one book less a year and you know it's funny because i don't always know how fast other people write but it was amusing because one of the CIFWA staff asked me last night as we were tying up something you know, she asked me if I thought that was true. She was wondering if I was keeping up with my writing. And I was like, you know, my writing has been slower lately, but I don't think it's the fault of the CIFWA stuff, but I'm also an incremental worker, right? You guys know this. And I was explaining to her, this is why I'm such a huge fan of having the writing habit where I write incrementally every day. Um, by the way, I did finish my reread ready to get back to, um, revising this novella today. And, uh, diving into gray magic. Very exciting. And <laughs> sorry, I started thinking about the, the schedule, trying to think of if I can really write gray magic as fast as I think I can, but I've done the math. I'll have to look at my spreadsheets again. That will reassure me. So anyway, and you guys know gray magic is not going to be out in December. It's just not, it's going to be January. I was just thinking about, can I make, can I, am I sure I'll get it out by the end of January, but I think I will. (sighs) Deep cleansing breath. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of running the math in my head now. There's not a lot of time, but I, I know that there's room to do it. I need to revisit those worksheets. I'm going to stop obsessing. Anyway, um, I don't think it's going to cost me a book a year, but I'm very interested to find out. And she was telling me about someone, one of the previous presidents whose agent had said that they should spend less time on Cephal and more time on writing. And I said, yeah, but that person also does a whole bunch of other stuff that isn't Cephal or writing. And you know, it's like, I don't know. I, I wonder if people don't use it as an excuse sometime. Um, I, I feel like writers, aren't we always looking for excuses for why we haven't got something written? Um, and, and people are different about it, you know, it's, and, and some people are burst writers. They, they write very intensely for short periods of time and you know, and me, I'm the incremental sort. So it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see. Um, and, you know, I certainly have the data. I have my baseline where I can compare. But I am anticipating that I shall be able to ramp some things down and uh, I'm hoping to get a lot done this week. So it was funny rereading Bright Familiar. Um, I really loved the ending. (laughs) Is that bad? Is that really bad to say that about my own stuff? But um, boy, some of those those last scenes between Nick and Gabriel when they're kind of figuring out their feelings for each other and everything. I actually made myself tear up at that one scene in the library. If you guys have read the book, um, where she breaks down and cries and I just, um, yeah, I got teary and I just, um, (laughs) I really loved the ending. Uh, I was like, Oh, so I think that's funny. (laughs) So at least I enjoyed reading my own book this time. Um, so then the other big thing is, uh, Taylor Swift, my girl released 
read Taylor's version. And I was explaining to someone on the CIFWA Slack, I wasn't sure if they had the background on it because somebody else in the, um, the romantic SFF channel said, am I the only one? She said that she says it's not really on topic, but I'm listening to Taylor's, you know, read Taylor's version and, uh, she's my muse. And I was like, I am listening to, and, uh, the, the little mini movie that she made mini movie video, it's like a 15 minute and I'll link to it, uh, for after all, wow, really good, really good. And I just, I'm so impressed that Taylor keeps leveling up. She keeps doing more and more interesting things. And it's fascinating to me that she took this thing, this song, um, from like when she was 20, like a dozen years ago, and she deepened it and added to it. And she managed to give it a, I don't know, the weight of years looking back now to that enriched it. And I was like, damn Taylor, (laughs) she's so good. Uh, yeah, I was just, um, thrilled, thrilled. So for those of you who don't know the backstory on this, I mean, like if you don't obsessively follow Taylor Swift on, uh, social media, because I don't know (laughs) why, why wouldn't you? Um, what happened was, is that Taylor Swift was with this one record company, a fairly small one to begin with big machine records, uh, from the beginning of her career. And she got something in my eye there. Uh, it became pretty much because of her, a very big record company. Uh, you know, they took a chance on her cause she was like 16 or something. Yeah. I might get my, my details wrong, feel free to correct in comments, but, um, you know, and became very, very wealthy. And, um, later when Taylor became, you know, a multimillionaire, she tried to buy back her catalog from big machine records. And, and I find this interesting because there are a lot of parallels between creators here because you know, like I have my books that I've published, say with Kensington, people ask me 12 kingdoms books. They've only put the mark of the Tala in audio. People ask me like, when are the rest of the 12 kingdoms and uncharted realms books going to be in audio? And the answer is, is I don't know. Kensington's sitting on the audio rights. I, I asked for them back. They won't give them back, but they also won't make the audio books. I don't have any power at this point. And it's, yeah, it's frustrating. So Taylor did something very similar where she tried to buy her earlier records back. Um, I think, um, I'm pretty sure that lover is the last one that she did with big machine records. I, I know that folklore and evermore she produced herself, but they did not sell them to her. Instead they sold them to Scooter Braun and Scooter Braun is, um, according to all stories, just a real jerk. He also manages or produces the, and I, I get a little bit fuzzy on the uh, industry terminology there, but you know, like, uh, Ed Sheeran, uh, and, uh, Kanye West. And there's this very, very long backstory with, um, Kanye and, and Taylor and, you know, just ridiculous infighting stuff. But anyway, Scooter Braun is, um, probably Taylor's greatest enemy in the industry. And, uh, 
Big Machine Records, the guy, and I don't remember his name, sold Taylor's catalog to her greatest enemy. And he immediately began fucking with her in that there was a um, Netflix documentary that was coming out right like that week or the week after time. What is it? Uh, that was about, you know, Taylor and, and Scooter Braun denied use of the, of her music for this documentary about her because he owned it, not her. I mean, isn't that what a world we live in, right? So she was really thrashing on this about social media. It was very upsetting. Uh, you know, and it's, it's just this thing where, where a creator doesn't own their own work. You know, like I can't put my books into audiobook because someone else owns it. Uh, you know, and so it is a compelling reason for self-publishing, but you know, someone like Taylor Swift, yeah, she can, she's, she's a multimillionaire. She can produce her own albums. You know, that's really expensive to do. You know, I complain about shoveling out money for an audiobook. This is like a whole nother sphere, right? So anyway, I thought this was really interesting because it was Kelly Clarkson of all people. And I don't know why I feel like of all people, but I just didn't expect it to be Kelly Clarkson, American Idol gal. Uh, she tweeted to Taylor and said, why don't you just re-record your music? And, and I think it was like a total light bulb going off. And so now Taylor is in the process because she has the wherewithal of re-recording her previous albums. And so that's why it's called Red Taylor's Version. Um, and if you want to support creators, you will not listen to the Big Machine Records version anymore and you will listen to Taylor's version because then that goes to her and her people. Uh, and so that's the re-recording of After All. Um, I've been listening to the album this weekend too, and it's, it's wonderful. And it, it's been, I was really interested to hear how much she would be faithful to the original recordings and how much she would be tempted to tweak. Um, after all, she has definitely done a, a retelling. It's, it's a very different song now that she's added to and deepened. Um, other songs sound very much the same as the original. And it's a question we ask, you know, like if we are reprinting a book, uh, some people like getting their rights back to previously published books. And, you know, sometimes there's problematic stuff in there that we didn't realize was bad the first time. <coughs> Thank you. Or, you know, we just weren't, weren't woke enough to understand, um, you know, times change. Jeez. But, um, you know, it's like, okay, how much do you update and how much do you change and how much, um, how much do you keep it cleaving to the original because the original represents something at a point in time. So I was very interested to see what she did with this. Uh, but now I must go do my own work. So on that note, I will remind you all that first cup of coffee is part of the frolic media podcast network, and you will find more podcasts that you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And I will talk to you all tomorrow. Take care. Bye-bye.